You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Welcome to a new episode of Yoshiden. I'm back in all, where, where is this, Rosie? North Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah. NoHo. <laughs> NoHo. Um, I have Rosie Tran back on the show. Um, Rosie, thanks for doing the show. Uh, are you going to stop looking at that magazine? <laughs> I can multitask, Yoshi. I'm a woman. That's true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. You guys could drive, take care of the kids in the back, use your cell phone, put on makeup on the, your face while you're driving. And do all that. Um, so, uh, w- has it been like a year since you've done it? I think so. Yeah, Last it's about a year, it right? Was on Rick's yeah. floor. <laughs> um, so I have a bunch of questions, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm very happy that you're back on the show, and I um, I uh, thank you for letting me stay at your place, and you and your uh, husband Andrew's been very helpful, and um, here we are. Um, first, let's talk a little bit about. You know, you've been doing a podcast, which is named exactly Out of the Box. Yeah, and I didn't even realize that there was a pun with that. I was just thinking, out of the box thinking. Yeah. And somebody was like, is that a pun? Because they thought it meant like out of the... They thought box was a VJJ pun. Oh. Because <laughs> I'm a woman. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think if you start listening to your podcast, it's obviously... Because you interview people from business... Um, health, or I guess uh, other kind Business. of professional people, right? Um, no, it's out of the box thinking. So I interview yeah. um, independent, mostly independent film producers, actors, um, out of the box thinkers, finance, religion, anything that's out of the mainstream. Sure. Um, I try as hard as I can not to interview mainstream people. Sometimes it ends up being mainstream. Yeah. Um, you know, I just interviewed. Uh, Peter Hecht from the Sacramento Bee. He wrote a book called Weedland. And what was the name of the book? Weedland. Yeah. It's about the medical marijuana industry. And I was assuming that he was going to be a more out of the box thinking. He was a great, great guest. He was amazing. But he was very, he had a very mainstream perspective on medical marijuana, which was surprising to me because most people who write about it are pretty uh, out of the mainstream thinking. What What is the mainstream thinking about marijuana? Um, in California? Well, in California, I think most people want it legalized. In the mainstream thinking is mixed. In America, middle America doesn't know how to take it. A lot of people want it legalized. A lot of people are still um, thinking that it's a dangerous drug, depending on what generation they grew up in. But um, I guess what I was looking for was someone who has more out-of-the-box thinking, which is um, that talking more about their oppression and the reason that it's illegal, which yeah. most people theorize or out of the box thinkers theorize that the pharmaceutical industry has been trying to suppress medical marijuana because it's more difficult to sell. Um, well, why, why is it more difficult to sell? Uh, because it's natural and the way that it cures people um, is different than a lot of chemicals. A lot of the chemical pharmaceuticals are very addictive and so people have to keep going back and buying more and more drugs. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, 
because you know, I told you off air to you and Andrew, I've been doing this medical lab work, which is basically a fancy way of saying I'm a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> poor Yoshi. Yeah. Uh, well, they pay me, so I'm not that poor every time they pay me. But basically, right now, when I did the one earlier in the year, it was all testosterone. And they've been selling testosterone medication for a long time. But So I was wondering, like, why are they doing another round or whatever of a studies? Yeah. It's because they're running uh, out of that uh, time for. Um, patent on those medications. Yeah. So, so they have to make a, a different variation of testosterone with different formula so they could patent it and they own it. So I guess if you're trying to sell marijuana, it's there's nothing to patent. It's natural ingredient, You right? can't patent nature yeah. and you can't patent natural ingredients. And mm-hmm. actually the, f- the pharmaceutical industry is now trying to synthesize artificial THC so they can patent it. Yeah. And uh, I love Peter. Like I said, I don't want to talk bad about him. He's an amazing, amazing guest with a lot of insight. But unfortunately... Yeah. His ideology was a little bit more mainstream for my podcast. I wanted more out of the box thinking because the mainstream, a lot of mainstream thinking is brainwashed by the pharmaceutical industry, by the um, the medical industry, by the insurance industry. That's mainstream thinking. What I really wanted to promote is out of the box thinking, which is looking at the reasons behind it that most people don't look at. And one of the reasons behind the illegal illegal state of marijuana is the fact that pharmaceutical industry lobby is pushing so hard because they can't make money off of it. Right. So again, Peter was an awesome guest, but not as out of the box, but that's with my guests. Sometimes I think someone's going to be one way and then I interview them yeah. and they're different. <laughs> so that's part of having a podcast. What's, what's your personal feeling about the whole marijuana in general? Um, I'm a huge supporter. By the way, I didn't even know we were going to th- end up talking about drugs, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm a huge supporter of medical marijuana. Um, as you know, Yoshi, I don't do drugs or drink alcohol at all. No, I know that. Um, but the reason that I support medical marijuana is because it's a natural alternative to chemical uh, pharmaceuticals. And it has shown to, you know, cure seizures and help people with cancer and other issues to, to, um, to relieve pain naturally. And also create appetite, so they it could create appetite eat, yeah. and other positive effects. So you know, even though I'm not a marijuana user at all, I'm an advocate of it. I and I just think it's silly that some of the most dangerous drugs like alcohol and tobacco are legal, yet medical marijuana is illegal. So I'm a firm supporter of it. I think yeah. it's great, and I just think obviously there's people who abuse m- marijuana, potheads, and other things which give it a bad name, and also the um, government pushing the reefer madness and all the you know bs from the 1950s to try to scare people sure so um that was a that was a a movie clip where they (laughs) it was really silly (laughs) it's silly now but back then i think people really took it to heart and it was basically scaring so many different crazy scenarios that people become worst case scenarios yeah. yeah um Look, if I own stocks in a pharmaceutical company, <laughs> if I'm a multimillionaire, I'm, I'm sure I have those same feelings too. But um, whenever you have a controversial issue, people are very emotional about it. And you know, how do you how do you uh, talk to someone, someone mothers, if they lost their kids to drugs? Maybe not necessarily marijuana. You know, uh, it's it's not easy. Even though I'm not going to change my stance, I I think it's a dangerous to apply each individual experience to some public policy. You, you kind of have, I mean, I think we should just step aside. Um, you know, I'm very biased about this too, but I just think I'm all about harm reduction. 
you know, which policy will cause more bad things for the society? And I just think illegalizing drugs is, it is, people get addicted to that policy. You know, people have an incentive, whether you work for law enforcement or pharmaceutical company, they have a definitely incentive why they want to keep it illegalized, you know. Also, I think that keeping, you know, drugs illegal um, creates a mafia. And as you know, you've been to Amsterdam many times and other places where drugs are legal. People aren't going crazy in the streets. People, no. people aren't killing, murdering drug addicts. In fact, create, keeping drugs illegal makes them more taboo in society and it makes people more um, reaching for them in addiction. And that's just proven when yeah. you go to these, you know, um, when you go to Sweden and other countries, uh, Norway, and, and they're more lax about it and there's no drug addiction, little, little to no drug addiction. Uh, um, uh, just a little correction. Sweden is—they uh, almost have a similar policy with USA. Oh, They're, they do. Yeah, yeah. Sweden is actually kind of conservative, shockingly. Not so much with Denmark, but um, but you're absolutely right. I don't have exact numbers, but it's, it, this is a complete fact. Because state of Washington and Colorado legalized marijuana, it's costing the drug cartel in Mexico billions of dollars. It's literally hurting them, and uh, I I hope eventually will be a place where will completely legalize marijuana. And and frankly, and this is not a surprise to anyone who's been listening to my podcast, I'm all for completely legalizing everything. I'm a c completely, I want everything legalized. I think prostitution should be legalized. And, you know, most people would say, you know, I'm, I'm a goody two-shoes. I don't drink, I don't smoke drugs. You know, I have never been to a brothel. I But it just makes logical sense, especially, you know, with prostitution. Some of these women are sex slaves. They're um, being forced against their will, kidnapped from Mexico, kidnapped from Vietnam and other countries, and being brought across borders as sex slaves because it's not legal. If it's legal, they have legal protection against the law. And, you know, I've heard so many stories of cops actually going undercover, getting BJs or whatever, and then arresting the girls. I mean, it's just sick. So I think all this should be legal, taxed to the bone, and, pay, and take the tax money and put it towards education. And in, in Hawaii, cops are completely protected. If you, if you act like a John and you have full sex with a prostitute, then you can arrest them. And, um, you know, any fan of The Wire from, on HBO, remember, the reason why cops love arresting drug dealers because it helped them with their statistics of arrest. It's easier to arrest uh, drug dealers, pimps, and prostitutes. Um, because if you're being completely blunt, the wire basically teach you the police are not in business of justice. They're in business statistics. They are in business statistics. Not just that, but tickets. Yeah. You know, towards the end of the month, more people will get parking tickets, ticket violations. Um, I was a victim of this. I wasn't driving in Riverside. I pulled over to a stop sign, looked left and right, and then pulled ahead. A cop pulled me over. It was towards the end of the month. Yeah. He said that I ran the stop sign. I actually argued with him. I said, no, sir, I did not run the stop sign. And actually, it's impossible for me to run the stop sign because I was making a left turn onto a busy street. And if I didn't stop, I would have gotten into a car accident. Yeah. He already started writing the ticket, which is part of their policy. Uh, I know because I have many lawyer friends. And yeah. he said, oh, well, I already started writing it. I can't stop writing it. Yeah. Um, I said, well, sir, I did stop. He got very frustrated, said, fine, maybe you yielded. He actually admitted that he was wrong. I said, no, I did not yield. I made a full stop. He said, okay, fine, we'll just fight it in court. Yeah. So he actually admitted with me questioning him over three or four times yeah. that he was 100% in the wrong. Right. 
they have quotas to make and it's it's a huge injustice and actually most of our legal system in america is class warfare against um people who are uneducated and the poor and it's a form of slavery because they go into these privatized prisons and they end up working for free and it's basically a form of indentured servitude yeah this is no surprise to anyone who spent time in states and um the police are ineffective when it comes to people who are billionaires and people in Wall Street because it's really hard to prosecute those people because they have the resource to fight it. And um, but I'm very touchy with prostitution and the the drug thing. It's it's a completely um, farce, you know. And what, it's I'm, a total farce, and it's yeah. ridiculous. And a lot of people would say, "Well, Rosie, you're a feminist. Rosie, you're a good girl. Why would you be for prostitution? Why would you be for drug, you know, legalizing drugs?" And that's exactly the reason why I'm for it. These girls deserve rights. You know, how many women go through Mexico or kidnapped in Mexico, brought here as sex slaves through pimps and forced to have sex with migrant workers and illegal immigrants and other things like that? There's this whole cartel. It's like, I don't want these these young girls. Sometimes they're 13 and 14 years old, which I know turned you on, Yoshi, but <laughs> he's getting a boner as we speak. No, <laughs> they're too old. All right. Um, but let, I, me, let me give you a perfect example. Remember a couple of years ago when Obama was visiting Colombia, all the Secret Service were there earlier, and they were kind of making sure everything's okay and the president's protected, whatnot. One, so I don't want to say everyone, every Secret Service, but a lot of them were are purchasing prostitution in in Bogota, Colombia. Uh, or maybe it wasn't uh, Cartagena, which is like a resort area in Colombia. And one of the Secret Service person, after uh, purchasing hiring a prostitute, when she was leaving, they gave her the money that she deserved. You know, they agreed on X amount. He gave way less than what she uh, they agreed on. Well, prostitution is legal, Secret Service. So she went to the police. Police got into the picture and, and, and arrested the guy. And, you know, then that was a chain reaction with Secret Service getting in trouble in Colombia. In fact, someone unrelated to that trip got in trouble later on and he killed himself because they did investigation of sec uh, secret service guys. And uh, first of all, um, I don't have a problem getting them getting prostitutes, you know. But they put them because they work for president. They could be in a position to be blackmail, you know. Yeah. But in general, I have no problem with um, uh, people getting prostitutes because I, you know, I do that sort of things too. But um, it just shows, like, when you legalize prostitutes. They have, they other, have rights. They have rights. They could go to police. But when you have in a situation places where it's illegal, women are in those two horrible positions dealing with the Johns, the pimp, and the cops. Absolutely the worst possible scenario. But if they have rights, as in the case in places like Belgium, Germany, Netherlands, and many other countries in Europe, uh, Spain, Portugal for sure. Um, they have other avenues to uh, get to protect record. themselves. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's just a it's not you know about legalizing sex as far as the actual act or your moral stance on it. You know, morality. I consider myself a very moral person, but morality is used in America many times to control less educated people by using religion to sway their points of view. Right. You know, the super rich, the the congressmen, and all these people. I'm a religious person, but these people are using religion, using Christianity as a farce. They're in bed with big business. They're in bed with their, you know, gangster mentality. And they're, they don't care about religion. They just sit there and pray or whatever on CNN 
to control lower classes and uneducated people to make them seem moral. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's all it's business as usual behind closed doors. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm um I didn't I didn't know we were Wow, Angelo. Uh, Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, I didn't know we were going to get so serious with uh, <laughs> Rosie. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it, Rosie, because when you started doing podcasts, I was a little surprised because, you know, I saw you as a 17-year-old kid when I met you first, and, you know, you used to drive me crazy because you <laughs> you always had all this fucking Hello Kitty shit all over. Like, I just don't... Um, it's just amazing when you see, like, women even older than me put Hello Kitty stuff. <laughs> even if I meet a woman, like, they're a judge, lawyer, accountant, engineer, whatnot, but when they have that stuff, like, uh, there's something really weird. <laughs> you know, guys get kind of weirded out when when women have a lot of cats too. You know what I mean? <laughs> women having a lot of cats are like a guy my age living with their home with their mom, <laughs> with a play doll. Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it's just like that. All the weird. <laughs> but I listened to uh, some of your podcasts and I I I didn't realize how serious you were. I mean, it's serious in a good way. <laughs> like. You're a funny person, so you're you're able to talk someone serious and distinguished in a humorous way, but in a talking in a way that even people who don't know anything about it could kind of follow what you're saying. Hopefully. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> but you make it accessible for a lot of people, which is the whole point about podcasts, I think. It's it's about connecting with people and believe me, I don't have a journalist degree, obvious if you listen to my <laughs> show. But I think some people listen to it every week because they feel connected with you, you know? And I think you you even told me you feel like, um, yes, we both like doing stand-up comedy, but podcasts, no matter how small the numbers might be for us compared to, say, Joe Rogan, Grantland, Mark Marin, and all those guys, um, still, it's 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 a good enough number that like they feel connected with us, you know? Well, it's very meaningful because I get to bring information, you know, mm -hmm. I know growing up, I grew up with a lot of misinformation. My parents were far, far from perfect. Right. And I didn't learn, you know, a lot of stuff. I had to learn on my own in my 20s. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who aren't interested in learning more, don't read as avidly as me and you do. And I want to bring that information to them in a way that they can comprehend so that they can learn the stuff that I learned without right. going through all the hassle and, you know, mental anguish that I went through getting that information. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I'm way older than you too, and um, I'm at the I'm at the really weird age. Um, it's always astonishing to me when I meet someone. I mean, I get I get teased because the way I talk, an accent, which is fine. And I mean, I've been going through that last what thirty four years. You know, you're not saying anything that I don't know. But I'm I'm always shocked that how people are more concerned with styles over substance. You know, and you you may ridicule me this and that, but I always get emails from people like they're always a, a surprised. Like, I guess maybe they're they have a, such a low expectation for me <laughs> that when they find out, I know a little bit, a lot of different, little bit of a lot of different things. Um, of course, I mean I've been reading papers and shit from what ten years old, uh, and but a lot I read, of people I, I read a lot of books and things like that, so. When you're my age, ancient, for stand-up comedy world, of course I know something about something. You but know? Yosh, a lot of people don't read. They're not out there looking for information. You know, um, Andrew and I, my husband, will walk around the neighborhood sometimes, and we'll 
you know, not stalking people, but we'll just kind of look in windows. You know, people will have their what, and they're just zoned out in front of the TV. A lot of people go to work. Yeah, they work at a job that they don't like. And so they're not paying much attention at work or they're spaced out or trying to get out of there as soon as possible. They get home. Maybe they turn on SportsCenter, turn on something, and then they go to bed. They're not reading. They're not meeting people. Think about all the interesting, weird, and unique people that we've met just touring the world and traveling as comedians. So we have a different point of view than the average person. Not to downgrade or downplay or minimize other people's lives or experience, but I think that's why it's important to bring that information. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are starting to podcast now and a lot of people are bringing, you know, poor content to the market by just, oh, I know so many comics. Oh, I'm going to do a podcast. And I think that that actually hurts us because people who are looking for new podcasts to discover maybe will listen to a couple bad ones and say, oh, I'm just going to stick to yeah. the, the main guys, Rogan or Marin or, or Nerdist or whatever, because they'll go venture to some new podcasts. And some of the new content is, is not, you know, that great. A lot of people are not as dedicated as you and I are. And, and, and I don't want people to start thinking like, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of some, some educational snob. I'm not. I'm just curious about a bunch of different subject matters. And um, um, oh, going back to like, I'm, I'm at the point. I'm like I was saying, I was older. You're a weird age. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the weird age because I meet someone super young, and like when I talk to them, when they tell me something that they don't know. So when they start telling me how much they don't know, it's kind of shocking to me that they don't know certain things, you know. Um, I mean, once, I, once again, I'm older, so I <laughs> I, I, I would know, but just lack of like disinterest in general, and how much how little they know, it's really shocking to me, you know. Like I'm not saying you should know this thing to make yourself a better person, but I'm just kind of curious, and sometimes I think. Depends on what kind of education you got. I think the best education is if they educate you well enough where you have a curiosity for the rest of your life and make you realize that even if you finish high school and college, that you still want to continue to learn for sake of learning. This is where, you know, I think you and I, we talked before, if I remember. Asian parents are not concerned about your learning stuff. They're only concerned with... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're only concerned with you getting really good degrees. From get good the college. degree yeah. and get the money. It's not about the learning. It's not about doing well. It's not about the curiosity. And again, this is a generalized stereotype about Asian parents. But I'm very comfortable saying that because it, um, they're really into crude education, really. Nothing wrong with getting an accounting degree. Nothing wrong with getting engineering and science and things like that. And they don't care if you're learning. It's just about getting the, gr- the grade. Did you get an A? Yeah. Who cares if you absorbed it or not? Yeah. So I, 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 I think, I just think that's, you know, I just, well, I'm just astonished when I talk to a young person and they don't know. Inversely, there's times when you meet one of those rare ones at young age and they know a lot. Um, impressive. And these days, you know, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the age, once again, you know, growing up watching like 60 Minutes in 2020 as a kid. And these journalists go out of their way to find some injustice or some corruption in cases like that, right? Not just Kardashian. <laughs> and, and they're educating the public some bad policy or whatnot, or something terrible is happening in the world. We're at the part, it's, there's so much information out there, and you could get them if you're interested. It's like people don't even hide, like they're doing some shitty things. People just in general don't care because they're just a little too overwhelmed. And imagine, you know, my friends, they're not, they're not, I'm not better than them, but if they're married and have three or four kids and you're 
struggling taking care of your whole family how little i mean really do you have the luxury of a time to read like we do they don't you know so i'm, I'm i guess i'm lucky one hand that i have time to do that because i'm unemployed but, <laughs> and homeless but, and homeless <laughs> but um my insensitive cackling in the background but um yeah so it's a strange time so i'm old enough to know like there's so many changes in the last 20 years. It's astonishing. But kids who are in like in their eight and nine and 10 year old, I mean, they grow up internet all their life. I mean, I can't imagine what their life's gonna be. But I mean, in addition to that, also there's a lot of misinformation. You know, um, there's political spins in history. You look at the Vietnam War and it was started on a false- What do you have to talk about your family history? <laughs> it was started- Rose is Vietnamese, by the way. On a false, um, mm -hmm. you know, attack. Yeah. you know the gulf of tonkin and so a lot but in some of the older history books i remember when i was growing up the history was that you know the gulf of tonkin was true and that it was a true attack yeah and and other things in certain history books that i learned growing up that were not true by the way uh for those of you who don't know what rosie's talking about gulf of tonkin was basically president johnson's um uh, basically explaining the, the, the to Americans that, that they're engaged in the war in Vietnam because they were uh, attacked in the uh, uh, Gulf of Tonkin area. But it was all lies. It was, it was just it was just a made-up story. We just pretended like we were attacked. It was. And 40 years later, you know, McNamara, who was the Secretary of State, went and said it was a mistake. He admitted that it was a mistake. Yet, you know, how many millions of Vietnamese died? How many hundreds and thousands of U.S. soldiers died? And not There was a documentary called, I think, Fog of War, McNamara talked about. And there, there's, they fucked up. There's a lot. There is a lot of situations like mm -hmm. that. So not not just that some people might be uninformed or they don't have the luxury of time like we do to read, but just that there's general misinformation out there. And with the internet, luckily th now there's more more information, but there's also more misinformation because anyone can create a website, anyone sure. can do whatever. So I think you're right. People are a little inundated. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Like I remember when I was in high school. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't remember that teacher's name, but he covered U.S. history when I was junior, and like, because he did a really good job of planning the class for that year, and you know, we got behind. Like literally before we finished the school, he literally covered Vietnam like a day and a half. How how could you really cover Vietnam <laughs> war in day and a half with all the complexity, you know? And we were like a bunch of teenage kids, you know. They just show the forest on fire with napalm, and my mom. Yeah, crying. I mean, you see the stereotype, <laughs> but um, um, you know, I, I I guess the best thing is like you 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 don't do shitty enough job teaching that. People actually have curiosity and actually go and learn on on their own. Hopefully, I mean, do you know how many people I've met that are my age that are totally clueless about the Vietnam War, and I had to teach them about it? I mean, my dad is a Vietnam War historian, so I'm yeah. a little bit more informed than most people. Sure, but I mean, the average person just is totally clueless. They didn't understand anything about it. Yeah, so um, I don't, I don't want to continue ramble on because you know we we're friends and obviously we get along because we probably are in the same page and a lot of different things but um before we continue on I, i'm kind of curious so like now that you've done over 40 episodes you know you you're within a couple months of reaching one year right yes so w w any surprises anything that um uh, you know um my surprise is how i guess how the podcast has taken off as far as um the guests 
you know, getting getting guests that I really, really liked. Sure. Um, obviously, sometimes, you know, you, you, I get a guest and I think it's going to go one way and it goes another way. And then sometimes I get a guest that I think, okay, well, I'm just interviewing this person because I need a guest this week and I don't have anyone this week. And then it's one of the most amazing interviews I've had, you know, right. ever. So it's it's kind of... Usually, I'm on point. I think a guest is going to be one way, and they are that way. But, you know, there's been a couple guests I've been really surprised with. One and way or the other, bad or positive. And are you positive. surprised sometimes? Because this happened to me, too. There's times, like, I interview someone. Like, I interview a guy named Bill Margo. And he works in the adult business for a long time. He was head of the Free Speech Coalition. Uh, he's, you know, he's probably in the 70s. And... I don't know. I don't know what prompted me to interview him, but I, I figured uh, he was friend of my friend, and I said like, "Why not?" You know, I met, I met him a couple of times, talked to him, and I ended up interviewing him for three hours. Right? <laughs> and he's one of those like stereotyping, <laughs> heavy set older Jewish gentleman that talk, loves to talk and have to put himself at center of the story. But um, and that one, I wasn't sure. Like, did I do good a good job? Because it seemed like he was talking so much and. and I had a hard time kind of controlling the conversation. I, I, <laughs> I did it as, as, as well as I could, and I think it was a lot better than I thought because people were telling me, like, I, I really get, like, email in every episode, but that one I got, and it was interesting because when I was interviewing Bill Margo, remember he's in the 70s, worked in pornography for a long time, last 40 years plus. I find out that his father was an attorney in Washington, D.C., and he was working for FDR. So that's amazing. He, like his dad worked for FDR. Yeah, yeah. Not only did he work with FDR, but he was the architect making a legal game plan for NAACP to fight racism in the South. And Thurgood Marshall took Bill Margo, the pornographer's dad's legal plan, and it was a brilliant plan for NAACP. It was a, a game plan to fight racism in the South, which became a game plan for Brown versus Board of Education, which was a huge landmark uh, Supreme Court decision to allow African American kids to go um, school. Yeah, and Thurgood Marshall later on helped uh, open colleges. I don't know if it was Arkansas or Alabama, but there was an African American student, a very bright person, going to law school, but. You know, uh, to me, you just never know. Like, you, you, I completely agree with you. There's sometimes I guess someone like... You just thought it was going to be an old fat porn guy. <laughs> or, or, or I thought this was going to be like shit. Another time when I thought this was going to be really good, it was just awful interview. It was so bad, <laughs> I never put that shit on air. You know? Um, so you, you don't know. And I think I think that's the fun part of podcasts because... I'm I'm not getting sponsored by anyone. I'm putting my money to release every month, and I I don't your know your blood money, literally, people. Your blood, blood money, blood money. <laughs> but there will there will be times where people actually write me a long letter. Those are the ones that really uh, make it worth it for me because um, uh, stuff that I do with Aiko and my friend Rick about Japan. People were like love that stuff, or you know, I'm sure. I feel like this particular episode is going well because um, it really surprised me when I listened to some of your podcast episodes because it almost like, sounds like someone worked for CNBC or CNN Finance with a great sense of humor. You know, it's really odd. And 
Ian, you and Andrew are very sensible for your age. Like, you guys are almost like, you know what? What is like the way you guys live? <laughs> almost seem like two Jewish couple that survived World War Two and really, <laughs> really sensible with your money. You know, like it's so weird how sensible you are at, at your age. You know, um, so it's it's, it's, it's a podcast, and you guys, it's 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 full of surprises for me. You know, um, and some of the people I met from the podcast became friends, you know, and people that became friends of me through a Twitter account because they finally listened to podcasts. You know, the one I did with you, um, it's always surprising whenever, and Andrew was very uh, kind enough to audio when you interview my friend. Oh, from Crimea? Yeah, Crimea in Russia, right? And this guy from Ohio, and he sounded a little crazy, but... Um, not crazy, but he seems so extreme and believe. You know, these days, if you believe in something and live by it, people think you're crazy. But um, he he said something really flattering. Like he said, like when people talk about the conflict in Ukraine and Crimea and, and with Russians, uh, there's a lot of bias in the U.S. media. But he said there's one particular media outlet where they they were very fair and blah blah blah. And he said, you know, the show Yoshi Den. It just made me laugh. <laughs> like. He mentioned like CNN and you know um, <laughs> NBC, this and that, Nightline, things like that. And like, there's one unbiased source. Yeah, it was like Yoshi didn't. <laughs> but I am, I, 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 but I am biased. But I, I just thought I have some point of view, and I, I, I think um, sometimes. I mean, I, I guess when I was younger, sometimes I, I, I'll hold a position that is not popular, just sake of just arguing with people. But uh, on the Russia thing, like, I I try to put myself in other countries' position and see how they feel. Like, a lot of Asians don't like China right now because China is um, gobbling up the whole world, money-wise and military-wise. But put yourself in Chinese seat and look at the map from Chinese position and look at rest of the Asia. All they see is American military bases are building all over Asia. And like, yeah, I'm fucking powerful, but I feel like I'm getting gained up, you know. Uh, believe me, I'm 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 on side of you, uh, USA. But mm -hmm. if you put yourself in Chinese shoes, like it seems like I'm I'm looking like everybody's trying to plan to get up on me, you know. So it's always easy to point a finger at somebody and say they're bad, but trying to understand where they're coming from that's a really hard thing to do. And I'm and there's a and there's a lot of U.S. bases overseas, mm -hmm. and some of them really don't need to be there. How many foreign bases do we have in the U.S. from other countries? Right. What is the number? Zero? Say that again. What is the number of U foreign bases on U.S. soil? Zero? Zero. Exactly. So why why is it okay for the U.S. to have bases in the Philippines, Germany, you know, all over the world because we're the big brother? Like, that's kind of narcissistic. That, that's a tough one because I, I think you're, you know, you, the Nam Chomsky school, if those of you who don't know who he is, Nam Chomsky was a ling famous, very uh, famous linguistic. Not was. He's still, he's li uh, famous. <laughs> well, he's still alive. <laughs> he's still alive. But, uh, MIT guy. Uh, he, he, but I, I think he can't, He doesn't do a lot of, type of linguistic stuff. He's more political person. He is. Yeah. He's a political person. Uh, that's what I mean. And if he look at from his position, he believed America's imperial power and a superpower bullying and uh, causing problems in the world. Yes, <laughs> I agree. But there's others see America as the imperfect country trying to be perfect. Um, 
people are still old enough to and still lucky enough to be alive remember World War II and what we did for the world. And I have to say, I am I'm because I'm old. I'm more of that uh, school. Um, we are not perfect, but we strive to be better country and. Um, I think the American people in general have a really big heart and they're really, really good people. But I think that the government, American government, is not in line with the political values of American society. And I think that's the issue. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, Russian people are very, very good, you know, people. I have friends that are Russian and they're awesome and amazing. And they're, they're I don't have any problem with any groups of people. I just have problem with the, the government, government, the government yeah. policy. And so... So th- and there are some of their rich business people for sure. Exactly. So that that's where I have an issue is is I don't I think the U.S. government is an imperial society and I don't want someone to say well you know blah 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 she's a terrorist or she's against you know America no American people are good people I've traveled this country I've met sure. many people from all over the country and they tend to be good hardworking open hearted very caring and friendly people it's just that the government policies that's why there's you know that's why the tea party popped up that's why you know roseanne ran for president that's why all these new independent parties are popping up sure because people are frustrated with the system that's why you know it's it's not that the american people are these horrible heinous imperialist people because most of the average american people do not benefit from some of these imperialistic moves and government moves that are made i don't i don't like those abuses and and believe me, um, let me give you an analogy. I'm 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 old enough to remember when they were trying to pass NAFTA, uh, North American uh, tr- Free Trade Agreement between Canada, USA, and Mexico, and it was a very emotional issue back then. You know, um, in general, I'm I'm a big free trade person. In theory, it it costs more good. I think. Maybe some people don't agree with that, but I, I was all for it. But having said that, whether it's, if it's NAFTA or NATO agreements, every one of those agreements have a humongous book with all the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're supporting it, you don't know all the things that in the written book with like <laughs> loopholes, and you know what I mean? Yeah, that's just any law that's written. Right. The so, average person doesn't read the actual law. And, and and even if you wanted to, it's almost impossible to know exactly everything in there because every lawmaker have a uh, represents a certain district. And there's teams of lawyers that write the laws. Laws, and they have a special interest. They will only support a certain free trade as long as it doesn't hurt their district. So there's a lot of these loophole things that they're throwing there, and and um, it's not perfect. But I I, I believe in in the free trade in the spirit of it. They're not going to be perfect, you know. But um, I believe it in it, but you know, if you're gonna nitpick, there's gonna be something in there that's gonna put me. It's gonna make me say like, ugh. <laughs> you know, that's like, ooh. You know, I, even though I support it, I don't feel good about it. But in general, I, I support support that. You know, um, because I I remember that the two countries to trade, the more they're dependent on each other trading, less likely they're gonna go war because going war with somebody when you are financially De- dependent, dependent on, on it. It, it makes silly. it really tough. So in general, that's why I believe in free trade because people have less incentive to go to war. So that that's that. And 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 uh, since we we're, we're talking serious, um, <laughs> um, we're gonna jump other stuff. But I got I have to say these seven things that I uh, I um I have a strong feeling, and um, I hope the listeners probably heard me mention. 
this gentleman's name because to me, I don't have a lot of heroes, but Bjorn Lomberg, I apologize anyone in, in Denmark, if I pronounce his name wrong, but he really is a hero of mine. Um, he runs Copenhagen, uh, Copenhagen Institute, and um, I guess people deride him by calling him anti-environmentalist environmentalist, but he's one of those guys that believe in cost-effectiveness of um, um, making the world a better place. And basically he believes that, um, you know, and believe me, I, I will never even argue with this person because I'm too dumb even <laughs> to dare argue with this person, but there's a guy, a gentleman named Jeffrey Sack, a uh, brilliant guy, wrote a book on End of Poverty. I believe he is still professor for Harbor. And he's on shows on CNN, BBC, things like that, trying to end problems in the world. Um, I saw him and Bjorn Lomberg arguing, debating on, um, on CNN, um, GPS, uh, talking about world's problem. And uh, I remember reading his article as well. So. Uh, to put it crudely, where I stand with both of those guys, generally speaking, Jeffrey Sack really mean well. He's very famous, attached to like Brad Pitt uh, and um, his wife. Why am I blanking his wife? Angelina Jolie. Yeah. <laughs> all these world's famous celebrities want to do something good for the world. But my impression is he's good at actually making those rich liberal people feel good themselves about actually trying to do something in the world. But not to, actually doing something. But I, I don't think it, it's doing a, a lot of good. Whereas Bjorn Lomberg's belief is that we shouldn't panic. When, you, when you're dealing with the world's problem and panicking, you make the worst decisions, right? When you're trying to do something, but you're panicking, you make a bad decisions. Because you're reacting. Yeah, in a, not in a good way. But he kind of become took emotion out of it and see if we decide to put $1 in the world's problem, in the specific problem, how much return does it give it back to you? So he will say stuff like, if you put $1 in malnutrition problem, the way he's suggesting, for every dollar you put, it gives you about $58 of a good in return. Versus you put dollar in something like um, Jeffrey Sachs, I can't remember what, but some of the things he was suggesting, you put dollar, you maybe get 85 cents of goodness back at you. Mm -hmm. Once again, if I meet Jeffrey Sack, I'll be too scared to debate with him. But this is the impression I have about those two. Um, I rather get $59, $57 more good return on a dollar, even if it's if even if it's not a sexy problem that they're dealing with. So Bjorn Lomberg will say things like, number one thing that we should deal with is malnutrition. You know, for every dollar they say give you forty dollars or whatnot, compared to Let's say you put one dollar in something that Hollywood people will feel good about, but when they give you two dollar return, I'm sorry, I'd rather get forty or fifty dollar return than something uh, good return, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, here's some of the things that he uh, suggests, five of them, and I, I like to add two on that list. That there's seven things that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about. Like number one is malnutrition. Obviously, people are starving to death. Uh, tuberculosis and malaria problem. Those are serious problems. Uh, three, uh, adequate education, early education, because pretty much determine the rest of your life. If you could read or write, could determine if you're able to make good decisions for yourself, if you could read or and write or not. Um, women's reproductive and sex education for women. Absolutely, yes, 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 absolutely yes, yes. important. International trade, like we were saying, um, it's not a perfect thing, but 
more countries trade with each other, less likely to go to war. Uh, it's more efficient. You know, one. You know, this is a lot of uh, competitive uh, advantage. You know, the reason why a lot of American people make bananas because they're in a better geography to make banana, and it's easier for them to make. And and the reason why we make computer stuff in Silicon Valley because we uh, have years of making those. Um, so we we will send computer down to Latin America, and they will send banana to us because. It's not cost effective as for people in Silicon Valley to make banana, vice versa. <laughs> you know, international trade, however imperfect and however a trade union from all over the world argue, I really believe it is that exercise of freedom and it leads to liberty. You know, what are your two? The two is uh, and the drug war and uh, and um, the war on prostitution. Um, I, 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 I do I do think education benefit women too. Uh, reproductive no uh, information is very important. Reproductive knowledge is, I think, one of the number one. Over and believe me, most women do not want to become prostitutes. They do a vast majority of time because they run out of other options. It's because of poverty, extreme mm -hmm. poverty, and that's that's the number one reason. I, I, I think overpopulation is the number one issue that's plaguing us, and nobody wants to talk about it because, one, there's a lot of religious and human rights issues with reproductive control and also yeah. abortion. But, you know, remember China got so much crap about the one-child law, but if China did, did not put that law into place, they would be at $3 billion right now. Um, true, but uh, may I add a couple of suggestions what you're saying? Robert Malthus talked about, um, you know, he was a very famous economist, kind of started the whole notion of dismal science. Um, back then, because they didn't have the technological advances that they could foresee, where we're at right now at 2014, the level, the increased population, you know, you know, one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. Yeah, exponential growth. Yes, growth. They could not foresee that scientific discovery where we're able to grow more food in area with a uh, manipulation of nature via science and technology. And absolutely true, there are population problems, but there's a two variation of a population problem. One, you're absolutely true, there's overpopulation problem for sure. But did you know that for most industrial countries, it's reverse, decreasing number of population, that's the problem. For, for example, in Japan, their population is dropping. So the problem for the Japanese and most European countries, only exception to the rule uh, of in a highly industrial country is USA. The population is actually growing because we have a huge influx of immigrants. Immigrants, i.e., Mexicans, Latinos. <laughs> Man, uh, Mexicans and Latino, you guys gonna rule California because they're fucking and they're reproducing, <laughs> and because Catholic, they love they love family. So we have that, but. I'm not, but I'm not talking about industrialized nations. I'm talking about, you but, know. But in those industrial countries, it is a problem because uh, Japanese are afraid because they're confronted with the two solutions that they don't like and uh, they don't know what to do. One, um, the problem is they have a retirement plan as well. And the problem is because the number of the youth is, is decreasing, decreasing many of the young people are more responsible for senior citizens' retirement. So that's putting a lot of pressure on young Japanese to take care of them. How do you deal with that problem? Either they're able to increase Japanese women to either get married or just have unwed marriage and have more kids, highly unlikely because uh, this is the reason why I, I think you, I feel nothing but sympathy for Asian women because 
the reason why the Asian women are getting married, especially in Japan, is because they're how they're being treated in Japan, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why get married when your life gets shit, complete <laughs> shit? I mean, really, complete shit. And uh, don't appreciate women. I I understand. I never get like you know all this like um. I am. I'm not Asian American. You know, I'm. I always remind people I'm Asian with U.S. citizenship. There's a big difference between Asian with a U.S. citizenship versus Asian American. Just like there's a difference between African American and African. Believe me, there is a <laughs> world of a difference. So when this Asian American guy complained about Asian women marrying outside or whatever, then I asked them like, first of all, I don't give a shit one way or reason other because I think people should have freedom to marry outside of it. But what is it about about Asian American guy to make the Asian girl want to marry outside of it? Whatever it is, if we're smart enough to start Facebook on all this high tech, I think we're smart enough to know like, figure out reverse engineering socially like. There's a way we're behaving that turning off Asian women. Well, <laughs> s- stop doing that, <laughs> right? Like, why complain to white guys? That's my point. Like, hashtag genius, Yoshi. No, genius. I don't. I, I'm all about uh, interracial marriages because if you look at dogs, all the purebred dogs. This is my kind of crazy. No, I know what you're gonna say, and it's true because Jamie, my little miniature schnauzer, has a lot of health issues because he's a purebred. Yes, I I think there's something wonderful about marrying out of your race because genetically more rich and like if you marry some something within the same group, there's going to be a problem. Believe me, I've been to Iceland, I've been to Korea. Many of those countries have app making sure you don't marry somebody within your family. <laughs> Iceland, did you know Iceland's population? Iceland's to God, their population is basically three uh, families, three. Premier League stadium full of people, and that's it. It's about three or four hundred thousand people in Iceland. The genetic pool is not that big. <laughs> you have to use app to make sure you're not marrying some re- distant relative. Whereas you, when you marry outside of your race, it's it's great, you know. Um, so I don't have that issue. But like, you know, I, I I'm friend with David Cho. I'm f- friend with Eddie Wan, and sometimes sometimes maybe I'm seeing it too much in it. But sometimes they'll complain about. Asian women or something about Asian men being men in America. I grew up in Asia long enough that I don't really have that kind of thoughts. Like, I'm not upset if I don't see Asian people on TV because I grew up first 10, 11 years of my life seeing TV show where all is Asian people on it. I don't have that sort of like insecurity. Uh, whatever the insecurity they have, they need, <laughs> they, they need to work on. But people ask me, Do you, are you upset that there are Asian women are dating outside of like, no, like, <laughs> why? I don't understand. Why do I? I don't. I don't. Uh, it's not a reflection about me, you know. Yoshi, but do you want all of the Asian women for yourself only, and no one, no other race can have them? I don't. I. I. I just like. I. You know, for every for those of you who don't follow baseball, this makes no sense. But there was a guy named John Rocker. Do you remember him? No, I don't follow baseball. John Rocker used to uh, hell of a uh, relief picture for Atlanta Brave, but he got in trouble like 12, 14, 15 years ago. Because while uh, Sports Illustrated interviewing him, he's, he's from the South, so he says stuff about people from New York City because I, I think Atlanta <laughs> Brave were playing Mets. And he basically said, um, Do you know number seven train in New York? Uh, I don't. What train is it? it it's, it's the purple line. I think it's a purplish color, but it's basically go from Manhattan into uh, Queens. Okay. 
That was my f first love, number seven train, because the first place I stayed in New York City was Flushing in Queens with my Flushing. uncle and aunt uh, a week or two weeks after 9-11-2001. And um, I love number seven train because I get out at the last stop in Flushing, so there's no way I could get lost. So that's why <laughs> I liked it. But John Rocco basically was saying, I, I don't believe he's racist. In fact, what was the movie on HBO that... Um, uh, that show, that crazy oaf, the redneck baseball player on HBO, that TV show that ended last year. Um, I'll remember in a minute. But that show is based on John Rocker because John Rocker and Sports Illustrated said 15 years ago, I don't like number seven train, whatever, because oh, look at that. Look at that corner. Like, there's like unwed mothers, there's homosexual with HIV, <laughs> you know, there's illegal uh, Latino, one of this, Asians. And, you know, he was saying, he was talking about everything that I love about New York City. He hated, <laughs> or if you watch that scene from Star Wars, you know that that the bar scene where all the weird-looking people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the everything that I love about New York City. I just love the fact that all these crazy-looking people that I have nothing to no common to. I love that about New York City. So uh, I'm all for. Uh, basically, my friend said I'm all about uh, interracial fucking. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, oh yeah, uh, Eastbound and Down. I I, I don't know that show. Da uh, Danny That's McBride. He played this redneck baseball player. He was his character is based on John Rocker's character. <laughs> if you ever watch that show, it's hilarious. He was just like a biggest oaf and a dumbass, but he <laughs> said all the stupid things about the race and uh, racial group. It's hilarious, and and that's the thing that people get mixed about. Um, America, people outside of the country, because they watch shows like that or meet someone like Ritnik or something and think, oh, Americans are dumb. They're not dumb. Uh, we have dumb people, of course, but we have a lot of smart people. I was surprised when I drove through the South last year, how many sophisticated people, because thank you, Internet, people are watching stuff outside of their comfort, watching movies from overseas. They're following news from overseas as well. I mean... People will surprise you. You know, when people think, when you meet people that from the South, you think they're dumb. You know, they're a lot more sophisticated than I give, they get credit for. So that's, I'm, a, I'm, that's, I'm, a, that's a coastal stereotype. I grew up in the South and I never mm -hmm. had any issues. And uh, people from the South are actually hypersensitive about the racist stereotypes. So they tend to be more open-minded than most people would think because they're paranoid about that stereotype. Yes. A lot of people I, I, I knew growing up were kind of hyper paranoid about the stereotype, so they would be more open minded. Sure. Yeah. So it's 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 I get really irritated when I hear people from California or you know, especially I've had people say, Oh, well, you know, it was a tough growing up Asian in New Orleans. Obviously these people have never been to New Orleans. You know, there's a giant Vietnamese population down there. I mean, there was a problem, let's be honest. In, <laughs> even in Texas, true, right? I mean, if you know history about the Vietnamese fishermen fighting people in Texas and whatnot. Of course, every immigrants go through that. Hello, that's America I mean, for my, you. my dad was... But the things are better. The things are better. And this is, you know, back in the 60s, my dad mm -hmm. was teased relentlessly, you know, for his accent. He was harassed at work yeah. and things like that. But I mean, that period is mostly over. And, and yes, if... If you go into the the countryside, the French countryside, there's going to be, you know, ignorant people. I went on a foreign exchange program when mm -hmm. I was 15 and I was living in the French countryside. And the stereotypes that they had about American were just as ignorant as anything as the, you know, stereotypes we have about the French or other. Uh, uh, absolutely. So, you know, I, I got teased, whatever, but it, it doesn't bother me. Once again, 
sometimes people only care about styles over substance. So <laughs> when they make fun of people in South, I, I was very impressed. I mean, I'm a little biased because I love football so much. And believe me, when you go South, <laughs> number one most important thing in the South is... Do you know football? Football, especially college football, SEC, Southeast Conference. I mean, football, number one. Guns, number two. <laughs> then number three, Jesus Christ. It, it really is in that order. But if you love uh, American football, South, man, it, it, it is fun, fun, fun time for me. And uh, they're, they're great. And is there still a problem? Yes. And here's another thing that most people don't realize. Because if you read newspaper every day, things are actually better. This isn't something that mathematically you could quantify. If you compare it to how people lived 20 years ago, compared to how people die now, in terms of dying in war, malaria, tuberculosis, and things like that, polio, you, H, uh, AIDS, and HIV, it's hard to argue. Even Bill Gates would tell you it's absolutely true. Things are better, but we just expect more. That's all. Mm -hmm. Things are better. There's no question. And I know when you're young, you you get overwhelmed with all the world's pro problems, um, and this is where we could all pick small battles to make the world a better place, right? I'm not like a bleeding heart liberal at all. <laughs> I'm a pragmatist, you know what I mean? If I'm able to connect people from Hollywood to people in Afghanistan and whatnot to do some social work, at the same time they benefit by presenting their name as a good person, show business. I don't really care why people do good things. As long as they do it, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't I don't care why George Clooney does all the wonderful work in Sudan and things like that. I really don't give a fuck. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think he's genuinely do good things because he really means well and he's going to sell movies anyway because he's such a talented guy. But I really like things that he does. I like Matt Damon when it comes to clean water initiative that he's doing. I I really like that. I like Jay Leno's wife been fighting for women's rights in places like Afghanistan for over 30 years. I don't give a fuck why they do it. <laughs> as long as they do it, what fucking difference does it make? You know, um, superficial reason, I don't care. Sometimes people do good things accidentally. Don't care. <laughs> I'm not that. I don't really You're care. You're not that judgmental about it, yeah. I don't really care as, as long as it gets done. Um, so, um, you know, I, I grew up poor. I was an illegal alien. And... Um, even with all the terrible things, some of the bad things that happened to me and my family and whatnot, we are so lucky to live here, you know? People people forget how lucky. Uh, I remember I was listening to these people calling uh, Milton Freeman and his wife on C-SPAN uh, one time. Mm -hmm. I love Milton Freeman. I know he's hated by uh, uh, trade union, anyone who's, you know, because he's such a pro-capitalistic person. And believe me, capitalism not perfect. 2008 with all the abuses by uh, Wall Street people, but in general, capitalism done has done more good than communism ever has. Um, but they, they, somebody was calling them because they've been married for a long time, and, and Milton Friedman's wife is also was economist as well. But they were calling this this couple. This couple was calling and like, we have a hard time paying for our bills and this and that. But when Milton Friedman and his wife asked, like, oh, how do you live? Like, they have a big house, multiple cars, all this and stuff. Like, well, why do you feel like you're entitled to the whole thing? Like, <laughs> you have monetary problem because you start thinking like you're dis you 
it's like almost right to have a big ass house with a huge garage, multiple cars, and every, ho- every room have a TV and stuff. Like, well, yes, you're having a hard time paying bills because your life. Well, that's what I talk about in a lot of my finance issues too. And is, I noticed that. Yes, I is, noticed is that. Is that a lot of people, you know, say that there's no way to get ahead. There's, you know, first of all, if you live in a developed country, you have every single opportunity to get ahead because of the way the system is built. Number two, the poorest person in America or a developed country is richer than the middle class person in. So even if you think you are so poor, you're on food stamps in America, you make less than twenty thousand dollars a year, you're below the poverty line you still have 20, 30, 40 times more opportunity than people in other countries, yet they still survive. So it's... Because they don't have a choice. Well, it, yeah. but, it's, but it's easy to pull, you know, to pull yourself up from your bootstraps a- in this country. And it's just a matter of changing your mindset from having that mindset that, oh, I'm so poor, I'm so poor. Yeah, you're poor for America, but guess what? You're rich compared to you know, 80% of the rest of the world. Yes. So you have to shift your perspective from oh my god i have nothing you know if you're making twenty thousand dollars a year is if you control your expenses and take care and and don't have like you said this big ass house and this big ass thing you actually can can do pretty well in this system yes like you said the way the capitalist system works unfortunately most people don't harness that and most people don't do the research and know how the system works and and so they become a victim of this like you said Mm -hmm. oh we can't pay our bills we can't do this and that i mean (coughs) it Mm -hmm. it's just it just seems silly when other people literally don't have clean water. When people literally don't have clean water and yet in this country we're, you know, taking a dump in it. <laughs> it's like it it just seems a little bit off. And Rosie and I we're not suggesting that there aren't are exceptions to rules and there aren't problems. There there are starving people in the USA too. There are. I, I'm just saying in aggregate, right? In general. In yeah. general. It, it it's uh, astonishing how much uh, and people get pissed. They yeah. get mad. Oh, I I am poor. I'm this and that. I'm uh, look. The government may be may truly be the root of your problems. Capitalism may truly be the root of your problems. All these things may truly be the root of your problems. But you can't change them. The only thing you can do is look within yourself and say, Hey, how can I elevate my my status, yeah. my situation? So blaming them does no good, except for making you more angry. Be- because you know I've been to some of the more poor places and and. Um, you know, Afghanistan, I mean, it's truly astonishing because I have friends, so it made it really easy for me to travel there multiple times. But things that we take for granted, um, is there a problem with government sometimes? A- absolutely. But Afghan will die for the government that we have because corruption is a, such a massive problem in Afghanistan. Like, uh, you know, Afghanistan is always on top two or three every year, if not number one. Places like North Korea, or I'm sure some of the countries in Africa, corruptions, um, not having rule of law. You know, Hernando de Soto talk about this. Part of the problem in Latin America that people didn't have basic thing called property rights. Now, people make a big deal in this country, like uh, one person's a greedy or whatnot. But without property law, we are not able to create the wealth in this country that everyone benefit from. For example, why would you and Andrew would take care of your uh, house? paint it, take care of it, and buy other properties. If any given time somebody with guns would come and take your properties, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have taken care you of it. You wouldn't care. Yeah. yeah. You have to be realistic and have some basic um, understanding that property law is absolutely important. Without it, people don't have incentive to grow business, create jobs, and wealth that other people benefit. 
Uh, Hernando de Soto talk about this. That's the problem with Latin America. People don't have legal rights in many of those countries. And that that um, actually happened to my parents. My mom and her family were very, very wealthy. They built up a huge empire, you know, rubber plantations and other other things. And then when the commu communists took over, they seized everything. Right. And my, you know, my mom said would always say, oh, we didn't have insurance in Vietnam. We didn't have property laws in Vietnam. You know, at any given moment, the empire that you built could be taken away from you within minutes. And that's exactly what happened to them. You know, they lost everything. And other people who you know, that she knew friends and family from back home who had businesses, properties, like you sure. said, it was taken away, confiscated and give it to, given to other members of government. Yeah. And that's very, very common. And that's actually very common in China with a lot of the bribes and everything. If you're not paying into the bribery system, you can get your property, your business taken away. Or you lose a business opportunity because somebody else bribed the official and then they get the contract that you were looking for. Or you can even bribe officials to get jobs. You know, yeah. they just did an NPR story on that, on how the good factory jobs were going to people who were putting the bribes in. That's the problem in Asia, like a lot of that. Um, That's um, how they do business. <laughs> yeah, uh, nepotism, and uh, which is a funny word to use if you're Asian. But, um, <laughs> nepotism? Yeah. That, <laughs> Sorry, I just made myself laugh. Uh, bribing and things things like that you know and that those are the factors that needed to have a healthy economy you know and, and people are just like oh communists took it over because those greedy landowners yes I'm sure some of it if not most of them are greedy but this is where Adam Smith talk about in Wealth of Nation where it, this is like a really idealistic way of looking at it but two parties doing business with each other freely because they benefit from the, this trade and maybe they're greedy or whatnot, but because they're pursuing their greedy self-interest, the society benefit in general. And it's just so crazy that this thing have to be over and over, repeated over and over, you know? But, but so that's one issue I do have with our government is that it's not a true capitalist because one, no. if it was true capitalism, then, and which is something, I'm not a true capitalist, but if it was true capitalism, then what I would have wanted, which would have happened, which was I wanted to see the big banks fail. I, hey, let them burn, I don't care. If they did all that stuff, let them burn and let whatever, because true capitalism would not have uh, allowed that government intervention. Into, Absolutely. Into, and I, I wanted to see the banks, you know, f collapse and fail because the system was corrupt and in capitalism, it's a self-cleansing oven, right? So if they screwed up, if, you know, AIG screwed up, or AG, sorry, or, or whatever screwed up, they need to collapse. That's true capitalism. And I think if it did collapse and we didn't bail them out, then a new system would have been rebuilt and reborn, you know, just like the Phoenix and for a better for a better system. And it hasn't been. And that's why we aren't really being true to, to that model. It's, um, and um, I apologize to you know, any of you who are economists, but it's Arthur Schopenhauer. Maybe I'm not saying it, but it's called creative destruction where healthy market have success as, as well as failures. Things need to collapse. The, you know, all those big banks, I wanted them to crash and burn. Not because I'm against, you know, the banking industry, but because if something isn't working, it's supposed to fail and the failure from failure creates a new system. And that's a really tough one to argue with because um, I think we're I think we're in the minorities because they will say like President Obama was saying like look look at what happened to Detroit. We saved GM and they saved them. They're making good products now, they're profitable again, they save a lot of jobs. Having said that, that's a really a tough one because you know you have emotion attached to that, you know. But you're absolutely right. 
basically what the government is saying. Thank you, Yoshi. <laughs> no, I, 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 too, too, too big to fail, but they're all inversely saying you're too small to succeed. They're not, they shouldn't be in the business of selecting what should be surviving, what not. Because the big problem when they s went out to save, save those bank and investment banking companies, the unintended consequence, because people, people always respond to incentive. The Wall Street saw what happened in 2008. They're willing to make a huge risk, irresponsible risk to the point. Not everyone, there are many honorable, responsible investors in Wall Street who are gr contributing great things to US economy, but there are also a lot of irresponsible, Shady ones. <laughs> a lot of irresponsible risk takers. So they're basically telling you two things. One, when they took this crazy irresponsible responsibility and they just happened to hit it right, they reap billions if not trillions of reward. And if but they if, fail, there's a safety net. If they fuck up, they make the government, i.e. the rest of America, be responsible for it. So kind of like give you an analogy here. Let's say I'm just going fucking around all the prostitutes in the <laughs> right? Okay. Fucking everything in sight. <laughs> I don't wear condoms. I'm completely irresponsible. The doctor gave him test result saying I'm HIV positive. But it's, instead of taking HIV, I make everyone else who were responsible sexually to take HIV to them. I give the HIV to them. I have nothing. What, how does that system work? Like I'm irresponsible getting all the benefit when the, when I don't get HIV. But when I do, I turn around, makes every, somebody else take that, and I'm clean. You know. And and what and, about? And, 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 and I'm sorry to jump, but that's what they're doing. Like. That the investment banking saw what they had, what had, what, what they saw in 2008 was, whew, we got away because they know for a fact the government's always going to bail them out. This is a dangerous precedent. It is dangerous, and it's also dangerous that you know what about the hundreds and thousands of small businesses that failed? They weren't bailed out, and the and small and small business actually helps the economy more because small business Create jobs. creates jobs. It's it's been proven that small business creates jobs more than large corporations. And, and they weren't bailed out at all. No, no small business got bailed out. And the amount of money that they used to bail out the companies, yeah. I think, I can't remember the exact statistic, but I think it was something like they could have just given every American like $100,000. It may have been, it, it was between one hundred and three hundred thousand, I think. And, and They could have just given it to people, the people. And instead we had to pay for it. For private corporations, that doesn't make logical sense. And, um, you know, I just wonder sometimes, like, if we didn't have these irresponsible uh, policies under Bush and Clinton, and we, if we didn't spend all the money in war, uh, I mean, I think <laughs> if we didn't spend all of our money in war, I mean, I think Afghanistan was kind of necessary. Iraq, I have a lot of mixed feeling, even though I'm a fan of Christopher Hitchens and he makes such a compelling argument. But I think everyone's mixed about Iraq. But I just wonder, there's thing that you know and I know and Andrew knows opportunity cost. If you choose to decide to do act A, the cause is not doing act B. And I just wonder sometimes last 10, 15 years, did we squander when we had an opportunity to do other things? Like improving the American education system? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like, you know, all the opportunities. I mean, I'm not saying that the Bush and Clinton and uh, Obama, every, every policy they followed through is bad, but you know, you just wonder sometimes. And um, and the, these are just men. You know, a lot of people like to blame presidents, but it's the administration behind them and also the cabinet members and the council because 
And how the system is set up. And how the system is set up mm-hmm. because, you know, everyone, you know, said, oh, well, George Bush is an idiot, blah, 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 blah. You know, Obama's new haven. Well, guess what? A lot of Obama's cabinet members are the same cabinet members from the Bush administration. So a lot, uh, there are puppeteers behind the puppet. And I think a lot of people, you know, you see Obama's hair getting grayer and grayer. You saw Bill Clinton at the beginning of his administration. At the end, he looked like he was about 30 years older. Uh, these are just. I'm sure it's a very stressful job. These are just the figureheads, and there's pol- politics behind it as well. So you that's know, important to know. Uh, Rosie made a good point because that's absolutely true. Because you know, right after World War II, after World War II, you have many of the scientists for Germany and Japan. They were not prosecuted because they're such a brilliant people that we needed their knowledge to fight. Communist Russia and Communist China. They were not prosecuted. Um, I mean, no, I've, I've been doing this medical lab job where I'm a guinea pig, but during World War II in Germany and Japan, Unit 731 for Japanese and um, many of those death camps, Germany and They were Japanese, using them for, for guinea pigs. They were doing some just horrendous stuff to the uh, um, prisoners. But none of the, most of those people did not get in trouble because they didn't want the Russians and Chinese to get the paperwork about biological warfare, so they were exempt from the crimes they committed against humanity. The reason I'm giving you that analogy because pe- the very people who were irresponsible and, and changed the financial policies under Clinton and Bush, those people are working for, like you were saying, true for Obama, because they're so good at what they do. <laughs> they needed people like that, you know. It's it's like it's just unfortunate, but many of those people get away because they're so good it's hard to get rid of them you know the very people that you're trying to control um i mean you know department of justice and uh, sec security and exchange commission which is funny because i say sec for that southern conference (laughs) southeastern (laughs) conference for football both sec but but financial department they have so little revenue and number of people monitoring those people and get this that those people work for SEC, they're taking career outside of it, and guess where they're going to work after they work at SEC? The very people they were monitoring before for <laughs> millions of dollars. Um, I don't know. That's why a lot of people take their jobs, actually. So yeah, it's, it's very frustrating for me because I don't want to get in detail, but I lost a lot of money in 2008. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know? Um, that's why I have such an angry response. <laughs> <laughs> because I trusted these people, you know? And uh, I'm dumb enough to be naive to believe in system like that. But I, I, I used to like Alan Greenspan. But man, that guy fucking pissed me off when he at the House committee and and he basically said that he was shocked that people would be dishonest in Wall Street. Basically, that was the gist of what he was saying, you know. Um, but what can you do? You know, I I gotta move on. Um, I don't even know. I had a, like point I was making. Um, <laughs> I still believe in the system, but I got fucked up by the system too. <laughs> but you know, it's it's frustrating being a poor person with like a very low level education, and, you know, okay education from college. I, I just no fault of a college, but it was just me. But it's it's just like I study econ, and like it's unbelievable how difficult it is to follow what's going on in Wall Street. And it doesn't matter if you're trying to regulate it because these are brilliant, brilliant people who will find loophole, and they'll be always ahead of. Uh, 
the the government it's very much like you know when you the government is very behind the government doesn't even have email for certain things if you do certain things with the irs there is no email that's how behind the government is in fact people are getting audited less and less and you can get away with more ta illegal tax stuff because the irs is you know they don't have money for those of you listening overseas irs stands for internal revenue service they they're tax people but it's frustrating for me because sometimes i remember when i used to do my tax return and i'll call irs and like two or three people tell me the different interpretation <laughs> like if, it, if you you guys work there if you tell me different how am i supposed to figure different out different tax laws yeah yeah and and you'd be on hold for three hours right <laughs> so this is where milton freeman the you know nobel prize winning economist uh free market guy was talking about that's why he doesn't like Federal Reserve being uh, run by Federal Reserve chairman. He believes it's better to have a computer running it, make an adjustment as how the market change. Because if you're congressman running for office and you look like you're losing because the economy is bad, people are not getting jobs, you don't give a fuck about long-term consequence. You want Federal Reserve to uh, manipulate money supplies to control so like interest well. rates, right? Yeah. So if you lower interest okay, so. How Federal Reserve control money uh, uh, interest rate is if you supply a, a more money flow, which is they sell government bonds, so there'll be more money in the circuit system. If there's more money, it'll be easier for bank to loan money at the lower rate. If you lower money for lower rate, it's easy for the business to expand business by borrowing cheap money to start more business or expand, right? But you have to watch out for inflation. Yeah. But if you take money out of the circuit, you increase the interest rate, which will make business loan higher. They're less inclined to borrow money because it's expensive to borrow money and the economy shrinks. And the reason why they will increase interest because if economy is running too strong, they're always afraid of inflation, things yeah, like that. Inflation. So the reason I'm telling you if your congressman running for office and economy not going well, they're going to try to put pressure on Federal Reserve chairman and say, God damn it, lower the interest rate so the economy will grow, more jobs, and people vote for me. You know, Dr. Melton Freeman was against that uh, because it's really hard to predict economy. He was basically saying trying to predict economy is very similar to giant oil tanker. Oil, giant oil tanker have to make a decision way ahead of time. If they see an iceberg like Titanic did, <laughs> you have to make a gradual turn because it's such a huge thing. It's like a little car. You could turn right and left and then make a quick decision at the last minute. U.S. economy is so big that you have to make a wise decision ahead of time. Well, Federal Reserve Chairman, I don't know how wise they are. <laughs> so Milton Freeman say, instead of letting politicians make a decision for ulterior motive, it's better to have a computer uh, monitoring the, yeah. the, the economy daily and look at long term, make those gradual change. So if you want to make a change of U.S. economy, like oil tanker, you make gradual decision so they can make this giant thing, right? Instead of waiting last minute, you're right at iceberg. Well, I'm sorry, but U.S. economy is so big, you can't make that quick of a decision. So. I don't. I almost suspicious when people are trying to have an ulterior motive how the economy should go. Me, I prefer less interference. I like less um, help. You know, when they waste money on poor people, it's called welfare. But when, they, <laughs> but when they waste money on rich people, it's called subsidy. It's the same fucking thing. 
if you're giving money to one group and another, you're giving money, but they have these names for them. Uh, spending money on welfare, they always picture black people. I'm sorry, but in the absolute term, there's more white people receiving money for welfare because there's more white people. But this, this racial shit that Ronald Reagan did, shame on you, uh, it's not true. I mean, black people do get, maybe per capita, maybe more black people get it, but there's more white people. So in the absolute term, more white people receive welfare than the other race. Uh, they waste a lot of money on these rich landowner farmers and um, US, this big corporation gets subsidies. There's also subsidies on food, which are is completely ridiculous. For example, you know, my neighbor is from Turkey. He said, if you go to Turkey, um, meat is very expensive because in America, meat is subsidized by the government. Yes. And this is the only place where I'm a really true capitalist. I think that not, no food should be subsidized because what happens is processed food is being subsidized by the government and it's making it cheaper where whole foods are being, you know, are not being subsidized. They're being whole pr price, you know, at the market. And so healthy food is being more, ex it's actually more expensive than processed food, which doesn't make any sense because if you're growing a piece of corn, for example, which is a, a um, a uh, grain or a vegetable, depending on your um, and corn are subsidized or is heavily subsidized, right? Because literally everything that we eat almost have something to do with corn. Whether you're feeding the corn to the cows or coke that you drink made of corn syrup. Yeah, so you take that and you and you take a piece of corn. A piece of mm -hmm. corn is more expensive than if you take that piece of corn and process it into a tortilla chip. Now that doesn't make any logical sense because the tortilla chip takes more effort five times more effort than just growing the corn and picking it from the sure. ground. But the government subsidies are actually making America unhealthier because they're making processed food cheaper to feed the corporate conglomerate food processing um, sure. companies like Kraft and everything else. And the whole food farmers are, are, being, are not being subsidized, so the whole foods are, are cheaper. And that's why a lot of other countries, people are healthier because the cheaper food is the healthier food. Yes. So we shouldn't be subsidizing all these things. It's We're just literally subsidizing a healthy choice. It, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And so. And funny thing is, Whole Food, the guy who owns that is a big libertarian guy. He believes in. Uh, believe I didn't in mean Whole Food as in the, the brand. I meant Whole Foods as in an apple, a Whole Food. Yeah, I understand. But I'm also saying that Whole Food owned that the Whole Food uh, chain <laughs> is a big libertarian guy and he has the right attitude. And. Um, but I have to say, I, I have I do have moments of doubt, even though I believe that's the case, you know. Um, but sometimes when you hear this libertarian guy speak, people get kind of scared, you know, like <laughs> free economics and things like that. I mean, these are kind of crazy argument that people hear that they get really scared because uh, we'll be done soon because I didn't know we were going to be talking this long. Uh, it was a fun conversation, but if you have if you're driving a steering wheel and in the steering wheel you got a knife sticking in front of it. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> Where are you getting all these metaphors from, Yosh? <laughs> all the shit I read. Actually, because you're driving with a knife sticking out, people are more inclined to be more careful driving. <laughs> Obviously, because you got a knife sticking at you, right? <laughs> but when people hear this kind of like argument the libertarian make, they get frightened. Like They think they're crazy. Like I've always been big on getting rid of minimum, minimum, uh, minimum wage laws. And every time I say it, I'm always the answer. Believe me, 1991 and 1993, when I went to Evergreen State College, one of the hotbed of liberalism, I was a big fan of Milton Freeman. I was seen like a Nazi on Evergreen. <laughs> they say, I'm the lone guy defending Milton Freeman. And it's really hard to believe these things. And I know for a fact it's true. 
but you don't know until you practice it. But in my mind, absolutely sure I am right, you know. But when you hear this example, when GM was stable and that, it's really hard. Whoa, 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 whoa. You got to go into the, the, the reason why you want to eliminate minimum wage. You have to explain it. Or what Milton's uh, theory. Well. You can't just say, oh, this is what I think, and then people think I'm a Nazi. You can tell us what you think. <laughs> now I'm interviewing you, Yoshi. <laughs> minimum wage laws actually, minimum wage laws really hurt the very people they're trying to help. It's usually minorities and people with little or no uh, work experience. So the higher the minimum wage laws, the business will incline, disincline to hire people. And if they are, there will be more choosy of the people. They'll be more inclined to pick someone with more skills. But if you lower, if there's no minimum wage, if people are willing to work at such a low rate, even if you're racist, if somebody's uh, willing to work for a buck or two dollars an hour, even if you're racist, maybe you're inclined to even hire a black person because they're so low. Um, they're willing to work for so low, yes. not they're so low. <laughs> so um, minimum wage laws really doesn't affect people like Andrew, you, and I because we're not going to take a job that low because we have skill or work experience or networking and whatnot. It hurts the people with no skill or somebody working for the very first time. Like Seattle, you know the minimum wage laws in Seattle is fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars. <laughs> so if if you have a, a business and you're cost conscious, and every business cost conscious, and if you're looking for uh, somebody to work in your business, um, I mean, really, who are you going to hire? Are you going to hire some pimply kid with no experience at fifteen dollars, or are you going to hire somebody uh, in their twenties and thirties? And have some business experience. I mean, you know, you you're more inclined to pick someone who probably have a less trouble getting a job in the first place. So, it it really hurt the people who are trying to get uh, experience and getting a job. And uh, it means well, and it sounds mean when you say that you're against minimum wage law. But most people don't understand counterintuitive thinking. Even my friend Tana said, like, no, you're you're. Minimum laws only help the rich people. It, it helped rich people in the sense that they could get cheap labor, but the unintended consequence of having minimum laws is the people with no job skill, they don't get the job. I'm not going to comment on this because I don't know how I feel about your argument yet. So mm -hmm. I maybe I'll have to be invited back on Yoshi didn't. But I understand the concept of what you're saying, and I feel the very same. Well, if, if you I, feel, I, I feel the exact same way about affirmative action. I think affirmative action is actually racist. Because it's it's saying that the person can't get the job on their own without the affirmative action. So I I, I see where you're coming from. I don't have an opinion yet on what you're saying, yes or no. Uh, mm -hmm. But I but I have a similar opinion on affirmative action. Well, let me ask you this: like, there's a point if you make the minimum wage law high enough, it's going to hurt economy, right? Like, if you ha if you own a business, right? Business. If you make minimum wage high enough, it's gonna put a crunch on on business owners. Yes. Okay, so like let's say some, some, someone <laughs> some okay, problem is here's the problem. Most people don't have are not most people don't not have knowledge about being doctor. You know, you have to go medical school and things like yeah. that. So they they always ask doctor for advice because the gap of ignorance between doctor and not someone who's not a doctor, you will listen to them, right? But because people spend money. Everyone thinks they're expert on how economy works and money works, right? <laughs> so, 
one counter argument is like, well, why stop at $15? Why don't you make minimum wage law $50? Like, why don't you want to help the poor? Well, you know what's going to happen, uh, whether you make minimum wage laws $50 or let's say you make gallon of gas $50. The, the, it, it would drop. The, 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 the many businesses are going to fail because how could you, how many people you think is going to keep buying gas at $50 a gallon? Way less people are going to stop buying it. People are going to learn to buy alternative. They're mm -hmm. going to figure out walk, ride a bicycle, um, solar, whatever, whatever, electric. Yeah. If you make fifty dollars an hour, then many of those businesses are going to fail because they weren't able to hire many people at fifty dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a point it's going to hurt. Why, oh, why don't you make minimum wage law a uh, million dollars an hour? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a breaking point where it's counterproductive. Um, Many people who are poor, they don't have job because they never got opportunity to work. And the only way you're going to have a job experience if you get a chance to work, if you pick, if you make the minimum wage high enough, business going to be so selective. They're not going to hire someone with no experience at fifteen bucks an hour. They're going to hire someone with experience. No, I understand your point, Yoshi. I'm just saying and, I don't and, know and, how and, I feel about it. And and and. And th that's the thing. Th this is where it's, it, you you want to take the feeling out and see what those law actually do to people. And okay, I don't know how I think about it. <laughs> my feeling is it really hurt the poor people they're trying to help, and uh, people are not able to counterintuitive thinking. And it hurts me. when I was younger. It hurt my feeling when I make those arguments because. I, I, I want to help poor people. Well, I think but I. They, they want to call like, you're fucking, you know, capitalist. <laughs> you only care about rich people, this and that. And you're like, like, I'm not rich. <laughs> but those laws have a consequence and hurt the people that they want to hurt. I, 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 I agree with you that I think people are not able to do counterintuitive thinking because there's many out of the box policies that I agree with. That most Which is on every week by Rosie Chan. <laughs> um, out of the box and non-mainstream mm -hmm. thinking that I agree with that most people get really angry. Right. Like I said with the affirmative action. You know, a lot of people are, well, why wouldn't you be for affirmative action? It's a racist system. You know, blah, blah. Because I don't want to be hired because I'm Asian or because I'm a woman. I want to be hired because I'm the smartest person for the job. I'm the best qualified for the job. I'm, you know, because, of, because I don't want a program to say that you have to hire me because I'm a woman. No, I'm extremely intelligent. That's the reason I want to be hired, not because there's some law. I think affirmative actions, action actually creates racism. Yes. In England, it's called, uh, I think they call it positive racism. <laughs> <laughs> but So I see what you're saying. I, see, I have I, a similar I, I, I'm not. I'm not favorite affirmative action. I cannot deny there was some good, but I, I, I think, you know, of course, if you're Asian-American, we're definitely not for it because it hurts Asian-American going to college. Because people who are less qualified will get into college just the Asian Americans want to go, and and uh, but having said that, we also have to admit racial injustice. You know, like if it wasn't for African American protests in in fifties and sixties, some of the benefits that we reap as Americans wouldn't we wouldn't have received it. It's almost like Asian Americans, like, okay, blacks and Latinos take the beating for us. <laughs> and as you as you guys are getting beatings, we're gonna get all this benefit, right? So <laughs> that's a really emotional one. But in theory, I'm not big on affirmative action. I'm not big on uh, uh, on uh, minimum wage law because I'm trying to take 
too much emotion at it and, and not worrying about being liked, you know, because in my heart of a heart, my bottom of little tiny. I was going to say, you have a heart, Yoshi? I know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Are you sure? I really honestly believe those things that they're trying to do is really hurting the people they're trying to help. And it's really frustrating because people don't really study econ and things like that. And like, it's easy to call names. It's easy to attack business people. One thing I have to say about Ayn Rand, who Alan Greenspan, all those guys make hero out of, that even though all this abuse in the uh, investment banking, things like that, in general, I do think business people do a lot of good for the society. I, I think a lot of business people do. And I like, I like the entrepreneurial spirit because I think that entrepreneurs mm -hmm. tend to be more open-minded. They tend to be more creative. They, they ended up providing uh, goods or service that people even think about. Look at the things that we enjoy in the last 10 years, that stuff that we never even imagined. Like, you know, Facebook, Twitter account, all these things that it wasn't available, you know, over 10 years ago. Um, because Twitter. of an entrepreneur's yeah, imaginative mind. Yeah. yeah. And if you're not on your A game, even if you produce something great like MySpace, the competition come and kill you. It's bad for those business, but the society as a whole benefit from it. So competition's good. Just like when this idiot Asian American guy complained about not getting Asian girls, <laughs> I, I, I believe. These idiot Asian guys. I believe the competition's good. Like if you're behaving the way to turn off Asian girls and if you like to get Asian girls. <laughs> Figure out what you're doing. Once again, figure out what you're doing wrong and change. That's what I'm trying to say. I totally agree with you, Yoshi, as an Asian girl. But I also think like I don't I don't get this fetish about any particular women in general. Like I don't, uh, you know, um, you know, the definition of insanity is keep behaving same way over and over and expecting different results. It's insane. Like I have a lot of friends in porn. They're doing the same shit over and over, expecting the 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 tie to turn in their favor. Like. You literally have to, once again, think outside of the box and do something different because if you don't, you're going to die. Newspaper business. You know, I'm a big fan of newspaper. I read newspaper. I don't know anyone who reads as much as me in newspaper when it comes to comedians. But, you know, Amazon bought uh, Washington Post like a year, year and a half, two years ago for quarter of a billion dollars. Quarter of a billion dollars. That thing used to work 20 years ago over billions of dollars. Because every year for the last 10 years, they've been losing money. And I don't understand what they're thinking because if you're losing, if you're doing the same business same way over and over and losing money every year, don't you think you should change? <laughs> right? Like every time you touch hot stove, you burn your hand. Well, stop doing that. So Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, bought Washington Post for not even one percent of his net asset, he's worth like over 25 or 30 billion dollars, right? It's because Amazon in business about innovation. I mean, people think Amazon's only there for um, retail business. Believe me, they're doing amazing stuff. Jeff Bezos have his own space program. He's producing television shows like Netflix. They have this thing where I don't even know what, like, uh, you know, storage for computer storage. They offer those services as well. They're doing all this amazing business. Drones, they're, drone delivery. Yes, they're, <laughs> they're they're constantly innovating because innovate or die. It's absolutely true. And you know, I I, I work a lot of people. I worked in the porn business for 14 years, but believe me, Silicon Valley couldn't be more different different from Silicon Valley, which which I work. But I'm and and. If you don't innovate or you... There's girls that are innovating. You know, there, there's girls that are doing the um, 
what is it the the model uh, the, the cam girl model the cam yeah. girl model and they're and they're doing they're innovating their websites and they're having pay pay monthly service you know mm-hmm. there's girls that are innovating in the business but the business as a whole there's a lot of people that aren't innovating in porn yeah and you know i'm friend with hunter moore you guys met and he you know he's he's in trouble right now and uh, I, I wish nothing but the best I, I like hunter because the character and believe me, i have to emphasize he was playing this bad character like a wrestler but now he's in trouble but I have to say, somebody who live in, believe in free market, and I, I'm a pervert. <laughs> when he did is anyoneup.com, you know, I know 99.9% of the world probably thought, what a horrible thing. But to me, I'm like, wow, what a brilliant idea that I never really, I thought everything that you could possibly do in adult business, here's a guy came up with something new. You know, porn is specifically concerned by masses of people. What Hunter did, if you don't know who what he has done, he used to have this thing, website called isanyone.com. Basically, let's say boyfriend, girlfriend dating, a guy find out the girlfriend's cheating, he's very upset and hurt. So he would take all her intimate pictures and send it to Hunter. Hunter would put her Facebook page, her real name, where she works, and all that stuff, and put pictures of her naked pictures, even sometimes when she's fucking. Those pictures were meant to concern by one guy. And to me, it's violation, but nevertheless, I like those pictures way better than porn <laughs> because it was never meant to be concerned by masses of people. So it was more real. There's nothing fake about it, you know? So, so vast majority of people find offended and women right, women's rights people are upset, but the law protect him when it comes to that. But I thought, wow, he, he came up with a service that I, I didn't even even possible to think. So it was bad, but that evil imagination was able to produce something <laughs> that I was, you know, so we're in trouble, the people in porn business are in trouble because that demand for porn. They're not innovating. The demand for porn will never end. Like guys like it, they're just not paying for it. Or people who produce adult content don't know how to collect the money. Innovation, you know, um, there will always someone who come up with something new. And when you do, you make money. Guys who came up with Instagram made money. People who made Airbnb, make money uh uber it's bad for taxi drivers because they had a monopoly basically a monopoly in business now they're putting pressure on them um there's a couple other site similar kind of service yeah right here yeah so i think if you have a good idea sidecar sorry not right here sidecar (laughs) if if, if you have a if you happen to find some um service for something that people need and able to produce in the most interesting creative way to do a cheaper better and quicker service those are the guys going to be we even talk about that thing twitch online live streaming service where people watch other play video games i couldn't imagine there's money playing video games and people (laughs) make money at that watching other people play video games so who knows rosie like you keep doing this podcast maybe you're talking to these business people and someday you and andrew come with some innovative idea for goods and services that people even thought about believe me some asshole 120 years ago said everything possible that could be invented has been invented. 100, 100, over 100 years ago, said, this person said this. Before car and airplanes and computer and biological and pharmaceutical uh, invention, you know, like, believe me, people are always going to produce something I never thought about, you know, cell phones. And, you know, today I was reading uh, this article about this um, fireman in San Francisco, bless his heart, 
he came in with this app. He's not going to any make money, but this app have ability to oh to help people the CPR, CPR app. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could tell you reading newspaper like. This is amazing. Like there, you can. It's a good Samaritan thing. You can find someone in the area that needs help. Because it it might take some time for um, paramedic to show up. Yeah. So if you have to have an iPhone, have this app, and if you happen to know CPR, and if you just happen to be two blocks away, you can run up there and help that person because the first minute, two minutes, so critical to save somebody's life. Now, whoever made this app by this fireman, fire chief's idea in San Francisco, uh, maybe they're not going to make money. But talk about innovation. You know, innovation is not just about um, making money. There is such a thing as social innovation. Like my friend Michael Olson in Copenhagen, as you could tell, I'm reading this teacher called Illegal. He made this Illegal magazine. He made this social innovation where he used to drive, a, you know, he, he lived in this neighborhood, they have kids, beautiful kids, beautiful family. Michael Olson, wonderful guy. In his neighborhood, he saw so many people overdosing, like, like what's going on? You know, in the 80s, when he was a kid, he went to uh, Romania to help uh, homeless kids in Romania. He figured out, why is this this problem? Why hasn't anybody offered a solution? And if they have offered a solu solution, why isn't their solution being effective? And he'll figure out a better uh, solution. So what he did was, why is there so many uh, overdose? Because taking drugs is illegal. People go to that dark alley where they won't be caught. And quite often, they can't see the vein. Or because they are inability to get clean needles, they get this uh, dirty needles with HIV virus and other STD. Michael Olson, wonderful person, started driving uh, his van around the neighborhood with a doctor nurse, start picking up drug addicts, let them uh, in, uh, inject drugs in the back of the van so they have access to clean needle. And if they're overdosing, there's a doctor or nurse able to help them. The overdosing problem in Copenhagen dropped tremendously. He started a magazine called Illegal, where only people drug at, hmm? people could find where to go. Or Illegal magazine is written by people who are former addicts or addicts themselves, writing articles, taking pictures, drawing uh, magazines, and only addicts are allowed to sell this magazine in Copenhagen. And so basically, every time they sell every copy of Illegal magazine, they are allowed to keep forty to fifty percent of proceeds, and they could turn around and use the money to buy drugs. That way, they don't have to commit uh, crimes. They don't have to rob anyone, prostitute themselves, and uh, they're able to raise money. Other 50 cent proceeds are used to make the magazine and provide money for facility where drug addicts are allowed to come, uh, place to sleep, clean themselves up, and food because a lot of drug addicts spend all their money. They don't eat. You know what I mean? In the beginning, it was such a radical idea that Copenhagen government was trying to arrest him, harass him. Many years later, it's such an innovative idea that the city of Copenhagen have adopted and stole the idea. Now there's vans driving around Copenhagen picking up drug addicts, provide facility to they could inject medication, uh, heroin. Um, and Mike Olson doesn't give a shit about getting uh, credit for it because he's able to provide social innovation to help people, the problem that he saw in the neighborhood. And uh, they have a healthier attitude about drug policy in De Denmark. Versus Sweden, where I lived for three months, they have very similar policy with USA, and it makes me sad because um, instead of seeing for what it is, drug addiction is not a, a moral or, or religious issue. It's it's a health issue. These are brothers and sisters that should be taken care of. You, we don't condemn people with cancer taking 
cancer medication. These are addicts that need our uh, support and help. And uh, it's amazing to me that we have this drug policy in this country, when it, whether you know, we should legalize it and put the money into helping people with addiction problems. And we're getting closer, but it's not enough. And every president said, since President Nixon, I said, are fucking scumbags in my opinion. <laughs> Absolute scumbags when it comes to drug policy because it's really, it, they're harming more people. And believe me, when you have William F. Buckley Jr. and George Shultz who work for President Ronald Reagan, they're completely for legalizing drugs. Not because they're drug fiends, because it's hurting, causing more problems than good, you know. So I'm, I'm all, I don't care about making friends. I'm, I, don't, I don't have a problem people <laughs> calling me you're a capitalist pig. You're you you you're you're all for, you know, drug overdose and this and that. It's absolutely not not that's not truth. true. And people, I take emotion out of it and see, if you do solution A, it causes more problem. I'm all for solution B. But I mean, it, you're taking the emotions out of it and looking very logically. But you know, I have emotions in 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 it. How dare you? And <laughs> I I think drug you know, safe safe things to be provided, just like you know w in the HIV clinics when, mm -hmm. or other times when they're providing sex education or providing condoms or other things like that, you know, and, and certain religious groups or other things saying, oh, you're promoting sex yeah, or you're promoting underage sex. You're promoting, no, you're promoting safety. Yes. You know, p if people are going to do it anyway, why deny it? Why? So it's the same concept, but with, with sexuality. Yeah. And I, I just think that people need to be taken care of and not, you know, in a welfare type way, quote unquote, but in a humanity way. I don't, I don't, you know, like I, I don't want to get too radical because I do know there should be some help because you know one one thing that make me doubt my things I believe in when I went to Scandinavia how poor people are taken care of you know and um, um, yeah and um, <laughs> we've come full circle with the drugs we started no, no, with drugs and we ended with drugs on, only place <laughs> only place that made me think twice about uh, government intervention I have to admit when I was in Scandinavia because. They fucking tax the shit out of you, but I have to say they take care of people too well too. So I'm I'm trying to be not so hard ass about it, but um, uh, I guess what I'm basically saying I think you agree that um, if 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 we have a policy A, it's not working. Let's try policy B and th let's take a little bit of emotion out of it and see how it goes. But anyway, Rosie, um, sorry we weren't able to talk the other stuff we wanted to talk, but I'm glad we did because it was more fun and exciting. And uh, I'm glad you're doing your podcast because it's terrific. I mean, uh, you've grown as a person, and uh, I, I'm 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 very pleased that you you just didn't do comedy and just be some dumb, <laughs> some dumb bitch. Basically, <laughs> you're a smart woman, sophisticated Thanks, woman. Yoshi. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say, ladies, don't be a dumb bitch. <laughs> don't be a dumb bitches. And guys, don't be a dumb assholes. So. All right. Well, uh, Rosie, uh, please uh, give people your Twitter account, Instagram, and your website and your podcast name and give it to them so they can follow you. And guys, follow me on Twitter at Funny Rosie, um, Instagram out of the box Rosie, and the podcast is out of the box podcast.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And thank you so much for having me on Yoshi Didn't. And Rosie is a very funny comedian. Uh, she works a lot, uh, talented actress. And you know, just uh, buy, buy her merch, listen to her podcast, and uh, say hello to her after the show. And um, you'll get a big kick out of it. She's very personable. And, um, um, you know, I have to say your parents did a terrific job on you. And uh, thanks for doing it again, Rosie. And let's uh, hope we get to do again. Uh, I hope you check those minimum wage laws and stuff like that. Those econ <laughs> stuff. Okay, because, I will. Um, 
that shit just still makes me it boils my blood whenever I think about that stuff because cheap shot after uh, after another when I got attacked in college and stuff. Well, like, your blood shouldn't be boiling. You said it take the emotion out of it. Come on. So anyway, <laughs> uh, everyone, thanks for listening to the show, and uh, I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.